Well, good morning, White Oak. I'm not normally in the light when I come out. That was weird. You're like watching me get ready. I'm normally up here going, oh, I hope I don't mess this up. Today I couldn't do that because you could see me. You would see my lips moving. So again, we're glad you're here. My name is Chris Emmons. If you haven't heard, I'm your what's called soon-to-be campus pastor. Um, not quite in charge. Get to still act like an idiot sometimes. Um, but you know, what we just saw there, that was vision night. If you were not able to make it to vision night last Sunday night, you kind of missed something big and important. I'm going to be honest with you. It was this amazing glimpse of just a little piece of what heaven will be like, right? Um, it, we were, as I was sitting in the crowd, I'm going to tell you, I could just feel the energy in the room at vision night, how exciting it was to have people there. And we worshiped and we celebrated God's work and we looked forward to the part that we're going to have in furthering his glory throughout our city and the world, right? Now, part of that vision night was we were encouraged to finish strong in our cannonball generosity initiative that's been going on. And, and we're in our final laps these next few months of that initiative. And the, the waves of impact that we're going to have on our community and the world are going to be so awesome. So I would encourage you, if you weren't able to make it, We've put some videos up on our Facebook pages, both the Ross Township and um, Colerain campus pages that we have out on Facebook. Watch those videos. There are a lot of important information, some great announcements, some great vision things that Nathan provided for 2020. So check those out. Now in January and now bleeding into February as well, we've been in this series called Made for More. And if you're a guest with us or you're just catching up on the Made for More, I want to tell you what that really means for our church, okay? The first thing we talked about was that Jesus is more, right? Jesus is the answer to the more, which we all sense is available for every facet of our lives. You know, Jesus is filling every time and every place. He didn't just live in a certain time or place throughout history, but he's been there throughout it all. He continues to be there. And he's filling all of creation. So that's the first thing we kind of learned about in this Made for More series. And then we learned that, that we are made for more. We're made to illuminate the love of Jesus into every place and every culture. The church, and I'm not just talking about the building as the church, but the people of God are made to be more for the kingdom. Then we, we talked about being made to love more. Made to love more is where we're, because of God's great love for us, we're God's kids, right? The song we sang this morning that says, I'm a child of God, right? That's what we are. And so when we're filled with that love of our Father, that kind of flows out of us into everybody else's lives. And that's what we're made to love more, the way Jesus loved us. Then last week, we talked about we're made to do more. And this is basically, in our pursuit of taking Jesus into every corner of our culture, we're made to do more of what matters most. You know, each of us has unique gifts that are given to us from God, and he gives us to us so that we, may, so that we can strengthen the body. That's the church, the people of God. And then that allows us to take that love that we talked about outside of these walls, outside of this building, and if we're going to see a movement and change in our community, then we all need to answer that call or that sacred summons that God has placed upon our lives. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I've seen these things called mosaics. And there's these beautiful art pieces that 
A mosaic is a picture made up of a bunch of little items. So again, glass or tile or pictures. They've got these now, these pictures. that It's a larger picture, but it's made up of thousands of individual little pictures, right? And they're pretty amazing. But each of those little items or pictures, they don't really, in and of themselves, are not that amazing sometimes, especially if you're just talking about tile or glass. It's not that amazing. But when they come together, they become this beautiful image that you can see based upon all these other little things. That's the way God has created us. God has created us in a certain way so that we're being sent and we're gifted and we're being placed. And when I say placed, we're placed in the places where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play. These are the places we're placed. And as those gifts and these places, they overlap with each other, we can start to extend the fullness of God's love more and more. Now, in the previous couple of weeks, Rick and Nathan and Kevin have shared with you how White Oak has provided this gifts and passions assessment. And what this assessment is, is it's a tool that you can use to help you determine the gifts and the passions that you actually have. And that gives you the opportunity to see the unique things that God has placed into your life. And if you haven't taken it, I'd encourage you to check it out on our website, thewocc.com, or you can download the app that we have available, and there's a link right there on the app. Take that assessment because it's going to really provide you with an understanding of your gifts. Because here's where we are. The big idea today is that since we're made to love more, right? We're, we're made, we've got that love of Jesus. And we're made to do more of what matters most with those gifts that we've been given from our Heavenly Father. Then we are made to go more. Now, all throughout this series, we've been following Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this letter was basically written to the first century church in Ephesus. And these were people who were basically an, a really mixed group of young, new Jesus followers who Paul was basically trying to help them understand how their new life operates in Jesus. And he was basically trying to point out, what does more look like? How can you do more? So he was trying to encourage the church, but through that, he's also encouraging all of us as well and w- so that we can start leaning in to the gifts and our calling. He's, in essence, calling us to change the way we live. So here's what Paul writes in, in the chapter 5 of Ephesians, and that's where we'll be today. And we're going to look at verse 8 to begin with. And here's what he says. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I'm going to tell you, walking around in your house in the dark, like if you've lost electricity or it's at night when the lights are off, walking around your house in the dark is not fun. It does not, I do not enjoy it. I'll be honest with you, I trip over things. I get freaked out really easy at weird sounds, like what was that sound? And then I realized it was like my stomach. And then we just... We, get, it, we just don't know what's going on. You step on your kids' toys. If you've got kids and they leave their toys on the floor, that is just awful. Like, I stepped on so many. I've broken so many toys stepping on them. My kids are like, what happened to my toy? I'm like, well, you left it on the floor and daddy stepped on it. But we have no clue where we're going in the dark. And when you spend time in the dark, when you, especially when, you first, when it first gets dark, it's pretty unsettling. You're not real sure what's happening. But as you spend more and more time there, you start to get adjusted to it. You kind of accustom yourself to the dark. Your eyes start to adjust. 
And you can make out shapes, and you can somewhat get around in the dark. I mean, I can tell you, I can get from my bed to the bathroom in the dark on muscle memory alone. I don't run into anything. The problem is, is if something gets moved, and I don't know that it got moved before I fell asleep, that could be dangerous. But we do that. We can make our way through the dark just because we, we get used to it. But that's about all you can do. You can't read in the dark. You can't write in the dark. You can't really connect well with someone in the dark. You just have trouble getting around in the dark. This is what living without Jesus really looks like, being in the dark. Before you met Jesus, you, you were in a dark place. You may not even have realized you were in a dark place, but you were. You used to live for yourself, seeking this idea of more for your own benefit, right? You were looking for more for me. I want to know what more is for me. And you look for that in places that don't really offer it. Places like your job, your relationships, your friends, your pleasures in life, the things that you think will, will fill your soul. And when you live in the dark, you live your life focusing on control. That's one thing you do. You, you think, I want to call the shots about my life. I want to be able to say what's fair and what's right. I want to be in control of that. Or if you live in the dark, you focus on comparison. You think about how things used to be or how you think they should be, right? Or you think of yourself as compared to other people. You do that when you live in the dark. Or you also in the dark live with a world of complacency, right? When you're in the dark, where's the safest place to be? Right where you're sitting, because you know what's right around you. You know that nothing's going to hurt you if I sit still. I can't fall over something if I stay in my bed. In the dark, you want to keep things the same. You want to keep them comfortable. But when you come to know Jesus, you've stepped into the light, right? His light. And here's the crazy thing about turning, getting the light on. When you turn the light on and you're from the dark, it actually hurts. Your eyes hurt a little bit when you come out of the dark. It takes some time for your eyes to adjust like they do to getting to the dark. But once you do, you realize how much better it is to be in the light and walk around in the light. You can do so many things in the light that you can't do in the dark. And see, living in the light and seeing the world the way Jesus really intended is to be seen, is to, is to basically see the way you live in a whole new way. You want to live in a whole new way. And in the light, you spend your life focusing on curiosity, right? You, what does it look like for God to have more control of my life? What, what does he have in store for me? What can he do through me? And in the light, you, do, you focus on celebration. You look at the things God has done, and you imagine what he wants to do. That's what vision night was, a celebration. You search in the light for where God's at work. And it's a movement from this preservation of self, how can I take care of myself, to how can I transform other people? And in the light, you focus on courage. Courage means that you're taking risks. I mean, honestly, when you're in the dark, you don't take a lot of risks because you don't know what's out there. You don't know what you might run into. But in the light, you're boldly activated to go. 
You're not afraid to take chances in the name of Jesus. This is why Paul said, walk as children of light. So now, you've been commissioned, you've been told, walk in that light, and take that into every place you live, you work, you play. Walk in that light and let that light shine. That's what, what Paul's saying here. The thing is, we have an enemy. And Jesus warned us about this enemy. And the enemy doesn't really come at us with this, these armies of darkness and these demons that you would expect and you read about in some of these you know, fictional things. It's not like, a, like that kind of story. Actually, even more effective, he wants us to be in the dark. Or he wants us to be really asleep. He wants you to be asleep. Now I'm going to ask a question here. How many of you have the habit of sleepwalking or sleep talking? No one is going to raise, no one in the first service did it either. I'm going to, I'm going to call you out right now. I actually saw somebody over here. I'm going to call you out. How many of your spouses have a habit of sleepwalking and sleep talking? Yeah, now the truth comes out, right? You don't want to admit it, but your spouse will bring you out real quick. Um, I have done this myself. I do it sometimes. Um, most of the time when I'm severely exhausted, I somehow have these random moments where I say the strangest things in my sleep. Like I see bugs for some reason. There's something subconscious there. I don't know what it is, but I must be afraid of bugs. It's true. Um, but I can remember as a kid in high school, I had a situation where I did something that was just like, okay, what was that? When I was in high school, I didn't really use an alarm clock. Uh, my mom, every morning when she was getting ready for work, would come and knock on my door when I needed to get up. She would wait for me to come to the door. I would open the door, and then she would like give me. A, we'd give each other a hug, and then I would go get my towel and start getting ready for school. So one week she d- was on a business trip, and my dad had to take ownership of waking me up. Now my dad's a nice guy, so I'm not calling my dad out when I say this. But he would not wait for me to come to the door. He would just knock on the door real quick and then go back to doing what he needed to do to get ready. So one morning while she's gone, I wake up and I'm in the hall. And I'm standing next to the closet in the hallway. And I think, oh, I must have, Dad must have knocked on the door and he took off and I got up. I mean, how many times have you gone through the motions of something and then don't remember ever going through the motions of doing something? And you're like at that point and you're like, how did I get here? But that's where I was. So I'm standing, okay, great. So I grab a towel out of the closet and I go start getting a shower and getting ready for school. And while I'm in the shower, my dad pops his head in the bathroom and says, hey, everything okay? I said, yep. And he just left again, shut the door. And I was like, all right. And I get out of the shower and I get, I'm getting dressed in my room and I begin to think, why did he ask me that? Why did he come in and ask me, is everything okay? And I'm like, I don't have an alarm clock, so there's no clock in my room and this is before cell phones, guys, way before cell phones. So I didn't have a phone to go, oh, what time is it? Okay, here we go. Um, and so I decided, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure what's going on there. So I walked downstairs, and my dad's sitting in the recliner down in the living room. And I can see the kitchen microwave from there, and it says 2 a.m. And I turn and look at my dad, and I say, it's 2 a.m., isn't it? And he said, Yeah. I didn't know if something was wrong. You're taking a shower in the middle of the night. And he said, you can go to bed if you want, or you can stay up, I guess. I don't care which. I went to bed, mind you, okay? I'm like in high school. I'm sleeping every chance I get. 
And the ironic thing is I had to take another shower when I got up because my hair was just like... <laughs> my hair doesn't always look this good. Um, you can ask my wife if you see her. It's real bad in the morning. So I, I took another shower. But again, this, this was... We do that, right? Sometimes we're fully asleep, right? Or just half asleep. And we go through the motions of something... I mean, it's possible that we can actually be engaged in a normal activity and not be awake. I mean, how many times have you heard stories of people getting up and, like, eating in their sleep or painting? I've heard stories of people painting their house in their sleep. Like, just doing things that you don't even realize you're doing, and the next morning you wake up and you're like, what did I do? But we're asleep. This is what the enemy wants from us, guys. He wants us to be on autopilot. He wants us to be doing, walking through life and not noticing anything else around us in the world. He wants us to be asleep in our identity to Christ. You know, we can consider ourselves Christians, but really be asleep to what that really means. We can rest on this identity that, oh, I'm a Christian, and instead, we're focusing on that that comes from our ability to do more good things and less bad things. As long as the good outweighs the bad, that means I'm a Christian. The enemy wants us to be asleep to the one mission, right? The mission we've been given is to make disciples, to multiply the followers of God. But instead, what we find ourselves doing is we begin to concentrate on this holy huddle of church where where we need our needs met. And we, and we worry about our preferences. You know, we get upset if the music isn't the way we like it or it's too loud. Or if the message isn't exactly what you wanted to hear or you think needs to be shared. Or, or the service doesn't go the way you used to go, the way you feel like it should go. Or the money isn't being spent the way you think it should be spent. We get focused on those things. We get consumed with checking off boxes of traditions and these religious obligations that we feel we need to meet. And then what we say sometimes is the professionals, like the pastors and the missionaries and the staff of the church, that their job is to multiply the kingdom. I'm just here to attend. We get asleep to our call to go. You see, we've not been given gifts to serve ourselves or to build a place where we invite others to come, right? I mean, we want people to come, but that's not the purpose of our gifts. We've been gifted to do the work of the church and express the love of Jesus outside of these walls, in our city, in where, we, where we're called to be. You see, Jesus wants more for our life. And therefore, Paul, he's going to continue to tell the church in Ephesus this as he goes down in chapter 5 a little further. Here's where we are. We're going to start back up in verse 14. Here's what Paul says. For if anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
This was Paul's wake-up call. Wake up, he's saying. Don't sleepwalk through your days. Remember that movie Groundhog Day? It's fitting because guess what it is? It's Groundhog Day. I don't know if you heard he either did or didn't hear his shadow, and that means it's either going to be really cold or not really cold for a little while longer. It makes no sense to me. I think they change it every year. I think they say, oh, he saw his shadow. It's more winter. Like I think you said that last year that the opposite was true. But we're in Groundhog Day, and if you ever saw that movie Groundhog Day, it's very fitting for today because here's Bill Murray in this movie, and the idea was he keeps living the same day over and over and over Have you ever felt like you're living the same day over and over? We do this. We live our life in this routine and we miss our sweet spots for God's mission. We get into it and and we miss out on opportunities that are coming up all around us. That's sleepwalking. That's what it's like. This is why Paul wrote this warning to the church. He said it in verse 14, Awake O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's interesting that he says sleeping and dead together because sleeping is about as close to death you get as still being alive. Your body goes into this stasis, and it's almost like it shuts down to everything around it. That's what it's like. But we haven't been shining the light as you should. I'm telling you what, if you want to wake somebody up from a sleep, what's one of the things you do? Flip the light on, and it hurts. My kids really don't like me in the morning because I'm flipping the light. I'm like, wake up. They're like, no. And you don't like it. When somebody comes in and turns the light on you while you're sleeping, it hurts. But that's the best way to get somebody up. You got to flip the switch on of God's light so that you're not missing out. Because otherwise you're going to miss out on the people who cross your path. Your friends, your family, your co-workers, your, you know, the other kids at school. These people need the love of God. You'll miss out on the places that God's calling you to be. Your job, your home, the corners of the world where people are struggling from hunger and pain. You'll miss out on the joy of your calling and living fully in the light that God has given you. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants us to have this. We often feel so tired, honestly. We feel tired of spiritual things sometimes, right? I mean, it's true. If we're being honest with ourselves, it's true. We have a sleepy spirit sometimes. We get tired of all these things that we think God expects us to do, these expectations that we think God is putting on us. We get tired of places where our faith clashes with the culture that's around us. We get tired of the battle between just trusting God and failing. We're sleepy in our approach to faith. And we live in a sleepy culture as well. We've got this fog of self-reliance, right? I can do it on my own. I don't need help. Or this fog of self-importance. Oh, I'm the most important person in the world. Me. Listen to me. It's about me. In this sleepy fog, we pick at or we bump into these little things that they just don't matter that much. Things in our church, things in our life. Because we can't really see the bigger mission through the haze. 
That haze, is the enemy's put that there. That's the most effective way that we, we can be kept asleep in both our spirit and in our culture. He creates the haze because he knows it's meant to confuse. So how do we wake up? Now, when I, right after college, I used to work, I, my first job right out of college was I worked at a television news station. And my shift was from 3 a.m. to noon, because that's what you do when you're getting your first job. You work the worst shift ever. Um, so I worked 3 a.m. to noon. And at the time, I lived about an hour from where I had to work. Um, so I had to leave my house at 2 a.m. every morning to get to work. And those first few months, it really was difficult to kind of get used to that sleep schedule that I was on. For those of you who've ever worked a third shift, you know what I'm talking about, that sleeping during the day and, and being awake at night kind of thing. It took some time to get used to that. So many mornings when I was driving to work, I was exhausted. I was so tired and so sleepy. And I'm telling you, that is a scary feeling and it's really very dangerous to be driving that tired. So I had to find a way to make myself wake up. So I would turn the radio up super loud and, and sing along. I would slap myself across the face like, surprise slap. <laughs> like, if you don't surprise slap yourself, it's not as effective. Like, you have to be good at it. Like, I'm good at it. I can slap myself. I don't even know what's coming. Um... Another one that I learned later in life, if you're looking for advice on how to keep yourself awake, my six-year-old taught me this when he was a child. When he didn't want to go to sleep, you just scream really loud. That wakes you up real quick, and everybody else, for that matter. Um, but, and then another one I would do is I would turn the air all the way on cold and turn it all the way on high. And I would just, didn't matter if it was winter or summer, it would be, and it would just, you're so cold you can't fall asleep. I mean, there were times it was so cold that I could see the air blowing out of my vent. I mean, that's how cold it was. This is what God is calling us to do, really, is to get uncomfortable. Because if you get comfortable, what do you do? You fall asleep. It's easy to fall asleep when you're comfortable. Life and death is on the line. What God is saying is run into the chaos and see what God's going to do next. You see, Jesus... God, they caused and they thrived in chaos. They uprooted the things that we thought were normal and we thought, and the people at the time thought were, were the, the way it should be. And that's in us too. We need to run toward tragedy. When we see a disaster happen, we need to be willing to run towards the chaos, not run away. When you see someone struggling with life or having difficulty, you shouldn't just turn your back on them and run the other way. You need to be willing to share the love of Jesus with them. That's what we're called to do. When our kids are following what the other kids at school say is okay and living in a way that, that everybody else is living, we need to be uncomfortable and say, no, you don't have to live that way. And I'm not going to necessarily let you do that. It's not easy. When we're being told that it's okay to have multiple sexual relationships in our life, we need to say, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to wait. When the things we look at, the images that we consume, the things that are coming out of our mouth are not healthy and are not creating anything good in us, we need to be 
uncomfortable and be willing to say, I need help. I need someone else. And you need to be able to go talk to someone and say, help me find a way to get back to where God wants me to be. I'm going to tell you, it won't be comfortable and it won't always be easy. But remember what Paul said. He said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, Paul is basically saying, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. You've got to make the most of every opportunity you've been given. You may not look at your life as a missionary, and I totally get that. Missionary is a really churchy word. And if you haven't felt like you have a calling to go into other countries and things, you think, that's not me. But you see, God wants you to know that everybody's called. You've already been called. Remember, we've been made for more. That we are a masterpiece created by God, woven together for his glory. And the, the love of Jesus lives inside of us, and that love is filling us up so that we can't help but to let that love pour out of our souls. I'm going to pray for us here before we go into a time of reflection. Lord, help us to remember how you made us and who we are. Help us to remember that we, we are your children and that your light lives inside of us. Give us the courage to go. Help us to be uncomfortable. Make us uncomfortable, Lord, so that we can spread your love It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now right now, as Darren and the band starts to play, I want to take a moment to have us all reflect on what being made to go more really means. As, as I've discussed today, we oftentimes, we live in a life full of darkness. And the darkness is a place where we can't really see what's going on around us. We can't know what's happening around us, and it's scary, and we don't really, we can't connect with people, we can't be courageous, we can't celebrate in the dark. So God calls us, he calls us to, to turn to him and be the light. So then one of us says, I'll be the light. I'll walk in light, and things become easier. This gives us hope. But one light isn't enough to illuminate the dark. God's calling all of us to be the light. If you're willing to be the light to the darkness, I'm going to ask you to take your phone out, turn on your flashlight, turn on your screen, turn on the light, and hold it up. Look at, look at how the light fills the room. 
This little light that really isn't intended to do much more than help me get around by myself, when we all hold our lights up together, it fills the room. You can start to see other people. You can see, you can connect with people. You feel less fear, less shame in the dark than you do in the dark. When we go more, when we bring people into the light, we take this light out into the world, we together can fill the darkness. And we can be the light of God for all to see.